0: Hello, everybody. This is Dan Trotter. Pretty good Bible studies. I am in Luke chapter nine. We're going to do verses 37 through 45, which tells the story of a demoniac boy who the disciples couldn't heal after Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. We discussed the Mount of Transfiguration in the last audio, in which covered Luke 9 verses 28 through 36. So we're going to do Luke 9, 37 through 45 in this audio, discussing that demoniac boy. This was covered pretty well in parallel passages in Matthew and Mark, especially in Mark 9, 14 through 32. I'm going to splice in my discussion of Mark 9, 14 through 32 in this audio to cover the subject. Now, so that splice begins now. I'm in Mark chapter 9, the first part of the chapter. We had Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's come down from the mountain. The disciples ask him, what do you mean resurrection from the dead? And where's Elijah? And he answers those two questions. They get down to the base of the mountain, which was probably a Mount Hermon, up in the north there in the southern tip of the anti-Lebanon range. And he came down to the bottom of the mountain, We take it up here in Mark 9, verses 14. We have parallel passages in Matthew 17 and Luke 9, which we will look at. Now, this particular story has each parallel gospel has details to add, so it's going to be a little bit complicated. We'll have to bounce back and forth as we go. We'll start with Mark 9, verses 14. When they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and scribes disputing with them. All of a sudden, when the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet him. Then he asked them, What are you arguing with them about? He asked the disciples. What out of the crowd, the disciples didn't answer. Out of the crowd, one man answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to drive it out, and they couldn't. So this is the story of the disciples of little faith who couldn't drive out the demon. Now, first of all, a little little detail that Mark has that Matthew and Luke don't have is that the whole crowd ran to greet him. The other two Gospels just say they met him. But they ran to greet him in Mark. They're excited about seeing him. You know, he disappeared all night. He was up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, why were they amazed when they saw Jesus? Well, here's some options. One, they could have been amazed that he would show up right when the scribes were whipping up on the disciples. And telling them, hey, you couldn't cast this demon out. And whoop, there's Jesus to the rescue. They could have been, the crowds could have been surprised at that. Scribes might have thought it took courage. The crowd might have thought it took courage to take on the scribes at such an embarrassing juncture. Maybe so. Gil and Clark speculate that they were surprised because some of the luster of the transfiguration was still on Jesus' face. I don't believe that because Jesus is trying to keep the transfiguration secret. Why would he walk down there with his face shining? That would start a messianic revolt right there, prematurely, against his desires. Another option, uh, Clark suggests, is that perhaps he came so unexpectedly, they weren't expecting him to show up that morning, because they didn't didn't know where he was, and boom, all of a sudden, there he was. But anyway, the crowd was surprised. They were constantly being surprised by Jesus. Now, I mentioned, as I read the verse, that when Jesus asked the crowd, who are you disputing with, what are you arguing with them about? (laughs) The disciples didn't answer. Why? Because they were probably embarrassed. Because the scribes were probably telling them, oh, you say you can heal the sick, and you could say you can drive out demons. Remember, the disciples had been doing this just as much as Jesus had been doing it, and all of a sudden, they ran into some failure. And so the scribes are probably giving them down the country. It doesn't say, but it's a reasonable speculation. They might have even insinuated it wasn't only the disciples who couldn't heal, but it was also Jesus himself who couldn't heal. So Jesus' honor, either directly or indirectly, is at stake here. Jesus' power and integrity were directly reflected on, as Jameson Fawcett and Brown says. And this might explain why Jesus so severely rebuked the disciples later on, as we read, when he says, it's because you didn't have enough faith. Jesus was all the time saying that, oh, you of little faith. You didn't have enough faith. Now, which disciples are we talking about that couldn't drive that demon out? Well, it weren't—it was nine of them. It couldn't include Peter, James, and John because they were up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus that night. Now, the father of the epileptic boy answered Jesus and explained to him, this is what they're arguing, that your disciples are arguing, arguing with the scribes about. And he describes the sad plight of his son. Now, I'm going to combine details from the three synoptic Gospels that tell us about here. First of all, Mark says that there was a dumb spirit, so now we know the boy is demon-possessed. Mark says that he foams at the mouth, so does Luke. Mark says he's grinding his teeth, that's a detail that Mark alone gives. And he has convulsions right here, Uh, Mark tells us that. I think Luke also tells us that later on in the parallel passage in Luke. We have him falling into the fire, into the water. Mark tells us that later on. And uh, Matthew tells us that also. And I think it's Matthew that says he's epileptic. Was it the Matthew Matthew synoptic that says he's epileptic? That's in Matthew chapter 17, verse 15. We found out he's an epileptic. So we put all that together. Another place that says he was rigid, that's in Mark. So he's rigid, he foams at the mouth, he grinds his teeth, he's convuls- he has convulsions, he's an epileptic, he's possessed of a spirit, he's in bad, bad shape. So this was a serious demon problem, and so the disciples were facing something probably bigger than they had faced before. Now remember, they had cast out demons before, but this was a big one. We're going to find out later that there are degrees of difference in the strength of demons. Remember Jesus said, this kind cannot come out except by prayer, this kind which shows that some of them are different than others, and I think the difference was that some of them were stronger than others. So we move on to Mark 9, verse verse 19 through 21. He, Jesus, replied to them, and there's a question who the them is. Remember, he's, he's surrounded by his disciples and by the scribes and by the crowd, as well as the Father and the Son. He replied to them, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Jesus just could not handle people who didn't believe in him. He said, what's the matter? This is just a minor demon. You know, he's foaming at the mouth, convulsions, epileptic. Big deal. You could cast him out? Bring him to me, Jesus says. Verse 20, so they brought him, the epileptic boy, to him, to Jesus. When the spirit saw him, the spirit that was in the boy, it immediately convulsed the boy. From that we can see demons can actually perceive what that's what's around them when they possess human beings the demon immediately convulsed the boy he fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth how long has this been happening to him jesus asked his father from childhood this is a detail in mark only now we need to say here that this demon mimicked the symptoms of epilepsy pretty closely that doesn't mean that every epileptic has a demon but that it does say that some epileptics might have a demon Might be something to consider if you're not a naturalist unbelieving typical rationalist psychiatrist now notice that jesus is talking to the boy's father and while that's going on the boy is rolling around on the ground in convulsions foaming at the mouth now you might wonder why in the world did he did he not cast the demon out first and talk later well this is some speculation again. Maybe he wanted to let the spectators know how serious the situation was. So he let the the demon have at the boy a little bit so everybody could say, Wow, no wonder the disciples couldn't cast the demon out. Maybe he did that to save some of the disciples' face. Maybe he was saying, Okay, you say my disciples can't cast out this demon. Let's see you do it. He might have let it happen to draw out faith from the father so that the father had to keep asking and asking. That's the typical thing that happens when jesus doesn't answer immediately it's for the purpose of getting people to believe anymore like the syrophoenician woman i'm not going to cast out your demon possessed daughter because you're not a jew and she says ah but even the dogs i'm a gentile dog but even dogs eat crumbs cast him out and that built her the the refusal of jesus to immediately answer like a genie in the bottle built the recipients of his largesse it built their faith That might be why he didn't, but it is kind of interesting. He just let that demon go on. Now, I mentioned to you as I read this verse who is Jesus talking to here when he calls, when it says he replied to them in verse 19 of Mark 9? He replied to them, you unbelieving generation. Who is the unbelieving generation? Well, you've got some options. It could be the scribes only, it could be the disciples only only it could be the scribes and the disciples only it could be the boy's father it could be the people standing around it's not really clear who is being talked about who is being called an unbelieving and perverse generation well let's discuss some of these options could he have been saying it to the father well the father himself said i believe later on he said i believe jesus helped my unbelief but the father's attitude was so pitiful he did say he had faith a weak faith Maybe Jesus was talking to the Father, but I don't think so. I think he was talking, though, to the unbelieving Jews. Now, he could have been talking to the disciples because he later on told the disciples explicitly they had little faith. The reason the demon couldn't come out is because you had little faith. If you had faith enough to move a mountain, you could move a mountain, but you couldn't cast this demon out. So he could have been saying, you unbelieving generation, talking to the disciples, or he could have just been talking to to the unbelieving Jews. In Deuteronomy, Moses says, the Jews are not his children, but a devious and crooked generation. The scribes and the Pharisees have been insulting the disciples, triumphing over them, so Jesus wants to rehabilitate his disciples. On that theory, that's John Gill's theory, it wasn't the disciples that was being talked to. As a matter of fact, Adam Clark agrees with him. He says, calling Jesus's disciples an unbelieving generation is an expression that could not have been addressed to the disciples who were certainly saved from the corruption of the world and whose minds had been lately divinely illuminated by what passed at and after the transfiguration. But at all times, the expression was applicable to the Jewish people. In other words, we can't say that the disciples were being rebuked by Jesus here. I don't know about that. Jesus all the time was telling them, Oh, you of little faith. And he said it shortly thereafter. He said to the disciples, You don't have faith. In my humble opinion, and I know, I know there's no way to, to determine this, but I think he was talking about all of them. None of you believed. But a little detail here before we leave. Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to, to the son and to your son? And the father said, from childhood. Luke says in the passage, it says the demon never leaves him. So this was a continuous, or scarcely ever leaves him. So this was a continuous thing going on. On and on and on, it hardly ever leaves him, it scarcely leaves him, Luke 9 verse 39. Now let's talk about why the man said that Jesus, that the disciples could not cast out that demon. The father could have just been trying to show, he might not have been trying to to cast aspersions on the disciples, he might have just been saying, look, this demon's a big one, he's got a lot of power. Or it could have been he was trying to show the disciples are weak and you're stronger than the disciples, so how about you take care of it? John Gill points out that all that might be true, but the father was just as guilty as the disciples. He didn't have enough faith to cast the demon out either. But I don't know. I don't really expect the father to have that kind of faith. He had not been around Jesus' teaching and ministry that long. All right, so let's look at why, some options as to why the demon did not, did not come out. Option number one, according to John Gill, is because the three principal disciples were absent, Gill suggests, without necessarily agreeing with it. In other words, Peter, James, and John were up on the mountain, and if they had been down there at the bottom of the mountain with the other nine disciples, all together, they would have been able to cast out that demon. I don't think so. could have been the unbelief of the disciples themselves, the nine disciples, the nine apostles that were confronting the demon. Matthew 17:20 on later on in the parallel passage it says this because of your little faith he told them because of your little faith for i assure you if you have faith the size of a mustard seed you will tell this mountain move from here to there and it will move nothing will be impossible for you including casting out a big demon so it was the unbelief of the disciples that probably why the demon couldn't come out here's the third option unbelief of the father mark 9:22 through 24 And many times it has thrown him into the fire water, to destroy him. The man tells Jesus, the father tells Jesus, but if you can do anything, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Then Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible to the one who believes. Of course, the implicit rebuke there is you don't believe. Immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief, which is a neat expression, which we'll talk about later. So it could be the unbelief of the father why the demon didn't come out. So I think there's enough unbelief to go around. The Pharisees, the disciples, and the Father. And that's why I think he said, Oh, you unbelieving generation. How long will I be with you? How long must I put it with you? Actually, it wasn't going to be that very long at all after because he was getting ready to be crucified shortly. All right, moving on to Mark 9, verses 20 through 24. The Father continues to describe the demon, the demoniac, his son's condition. And many times it, the spirit, has thrown him into fire. The evil spirit has thrown him into fire or water to destroy him. But if if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Then Jesus said to him, if you can. Jesus is quoting him back and saying, what? If you can, what do you mean, if you can? Of course I can. That's what he means. Everything is possible to the one who believes, Jesus says. Immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. Now this The fact that that demon was throwing that boy into a fire or water, that means every time that boy was around any water or fire, he was in danger of his life. That meant the parents had to constantly watch the boy, living in constant fear. What a terrible situation. Now, the man's faith was weak. He says, I do believe help my unbelief. So he's admitting he has unbelief. And everybody has a mixture of unbelief with their faith. Let's face it, he's not alone. But in fact, his faith had probably gotten weaker since he left home. He had gone to the disciples. he gotten no help. That's not going to help his faith any when his, his, Jesus' own disciples came cast the demons out. And then he heard the scribes, the religious leaders, his role models, ridiculing the disciples because they couldn't cast the demon out. And now the boy is convulsing on the ground I'm Je- while Jesus is talking. I can see why the man was sort of desperate and didn't have a lot of faith. Now, the man said, I do believe, help my unbelief. This shows that, as I said earlier, that belief can be admixed with unbelief. And you notice that he asked the lack in his faith to be made up. He had enough faith to ask for his faith to be built up. So, and I think that's a very good prayer. I don't believe you in Jesus enough. Help me, my unbelief. Make me believe more. Let me trust you more. To love you more dearly, to tr- to to trust you more and more. So there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with acknowledging that Jesus is the source of our faith. Jesus is the source of our faith. We don't have faith in faith. The the man, the father, did not say, I believe in you, Jesus. I believe, I believe, I believe, and start quoting a bunch of faith formulas and talking about, I have faith in my faith. No, he didn't do that, like certain people I know in the hyper-faith movement. He looked to Jesus and said, build my faith. And that's how you build your faith. You get into a relationship with Jesus and learn more and more about him, your faith's going to get stronger. It's not by how many times you can quote the Scripture about whatsoever you ask, believing God will do for you, although that's true. It's a true Scripture. But it's not just by quoting the Scripture mantra-like that you're going to increase your faith. you got to learn, look to Jesus. Note that the man was honest. He didn't start blabbing those name-it-and-claim-it faith formulas, he admitted it. You know, I'm sure the faith people would say, help my unbelief, oh my gosh, that is a negative confession. Jesus is not going to help this man. Well, actually, Jesus did help him. He cast the demon out. There are many examples where people say things that hyper-faith people will say in negative confessions where Jesus answers, and this is one of them right here. Moving on to Mark chapter 9 verse 25, when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly coming together, he already had one crowd coming down off that mountain and apparently they'd kind of dispersed a little bit, but now they're coming back together again. Jesus didn't want to get involved in crowd hysterics. He rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. Notice this is a future deliverance as well as a present deliverance because he says never enter him again never again shall the demon come into this boy that crowd made him hurry up because jesus was trying to avoid publicity we'll find out later he's going through galilee completely secretly not preaching to the crowds at all just talking to the disciples as he prepares for his crucifixion in jerusalem moving on to mark 9 chapter 26 verse mark chapter 9 verses 26 through 27 then it came out, the demon, shrieking and convulsing him violently. The shrieking is, a, is something that's added by Mark. Shrieking and convulsing him violently. The boy became like a corpse, so that many said he's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him and he stood up. Apparently, it seems to me that the demon had done some physical damage on the way out. Maybe the boy was exhausted from all the convulsions, it could be. I've heard demon stories like this. that happens a lot. People just go just lie limp after the demon comes out. Mark 9 verses 28 through 29. After he, Jesus, went into a house. Now they're alone now. They're away from the crowds. I don't know where they are, but they're alone. His disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he told them this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Now I'm using the Holman Christian Study Bible here, and the and fasting is in brackets, which means there's questions about which of whether the uh, original autograph had and fasting in it because the man- manuscripts vary. They have a lot of variance there, and so they put and fasting in there. So it's not clear that and fasting is in there. But it doesn't really matter because... Well, I shouldn't say it matter. Well, I guess it might matter. The question we might ask here, though, is why did Jesus say this could come out nothing by praying and fasting? Now, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to compare the three synoptics. And we're going to see in our parallel passages that Jesus has two different answers. In Mark 9, he says, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer. I'm going to assume the end fasting is not there just to avoid discussing that. But this kind can come out by nothing but prayer. In Matthew, Jesus gives the reason for why the disciples couldn't cast out the demon. is because of your little faith. You don't have enough faith. Let me make a comment about the textual problem I just mentioned here in Matthew 9 verse 29 the and fasting is questionable in Matthew 17 verses 21 which says however this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting that's also questionable well if you get rid of all the questionable variants you don't have this kind doesn't come out except by prayer and fasting in Matthew but you do have in Mark this kind comes out can come out by nothing but prayer if you leave the and fasting off because that's questionable so at least we know that that Jesus told the disciples they didn't pray enough. He might have told them they didn't pray and fast enough, but we definitely know they didn't pray pray enough. Now, why would they might not have prayed enough? Well, I, in my opinion, the disciples had probably been going around casting out demons. They had done it so easily, almost by rote. And When things get easy, a lot of times you don't pray enough. And maybe they should have prayed beforehand before they tackled this big demon, this epileptic demon. Now Jesus is telling them, don't go around thinking this is a formula. You're going to have to maintain your connection with the source of your power. You're going to have to keep praying to God, praying to Jesus after he's resurrected. You're going to have to pray to him before you start going around casting out demons or doing any other work. I mean, how many times do you see preachers going through the motions when they preach? Or witnesses going through the motions when they're witnessing to the people? It's easy to do. you got to keep praying so you don't lose the power. I recall one time when I was in college, the University of South Carolina, was, and I had my faith restored when somebody prayed. One of the sisters and I in our university group prayed for my left leg, and it grew out in the thin air, and I said, oh, I'll never doubt again. So I started praying for people like that, and I prayed for a bunch of people, and they, I saw a thumb grow out. I saw a foot grow out once. You know, I saw this stuff, and i never forget the time when I was at on Masoncroft Street in sumter south carolina because this is i remember exactly where i was when i prayed for this this young college maybe it's a high school girl i can't remember but some sister in a prayer group we had there and she heard about all the stories we were telling about this about the miracles that jesus was doing and we prayed for that girl and not a thing happened i mean nothing i was mortified And I, yeah, I finally started asking God, what happened here? You know, and I think the answer is very clear as I was just getting too blase about it. Just, oh, this is fun. I'm Not exactly maintaining my relationship with God for why we're doing this. It could have been because of the purpose. Maybe it might have built that girl's faith up, might not have. I don't know, but it got to be too much of a toy. And I'm glad. And in one sense, I'm glad that that happened because, you know, the power of God is not something to be toyed with. And a lot of people are destroyed, especially faith healers. A lot of them are destroyed by the power of God and start going after money. So, anyway, the, the people should have, these disciples probably weren't praying enough. And related to not praying enough is they didn't have enough faith because Jesus also said, because of your little faith, that's why you couldn't drive it out. And then he says, and we have to go to the parallel in Matthew 17 here because Mark and Luke are finished. Matthew 17. Twenty through twenty-one. Because of your little faith, he told them. For I assure you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will tell this mountain move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And the textual variant here in verse twenty-one. I think the NIV completely leaves it out. Puts it in the margin. However, this, doc, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. Okay, because of your little faith, he says, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, mustard seed was the smallest known seed in Judea. It's not the smallest known seed on the whole planet, but Jesus was talking about the smallest known seed to the to Jews, and he's picking something real small, he's picking something real big to compare it to. little tiny bit of faith, big, big results. Now, he does not literally mean that a mountain would be picked up and moved from here to there. That's absurd. This is Hebrew probably it's a figure of speech. And when he says, nothing will be impossible for you, he means nothing in the will of God, like casting out a demon. That is the will of God. So we don't want to be hyper literal here and ruin the import, the impact of this verse. Basically he's saying, look, have faith in God and God will do miracles for you. Nothing will be impossible for you in the will of God. Nothing. Now that doesn't mean have faith in God. If you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, it's talking about faith for salvation, believing faith in Jesus Christ. As John Gill points out, belief in Christ as a Savior can't be it because lots of people believe in Christ as savior, as, as savior, but they don't have faith to move mountains, even though they have faith that their sins are forgiven. So John Gill says it's faith to do miracles, and I think that's what Jesus is talking about. Paul mentions this faith that moves mountains in 1 Corinthians thirteen two. If I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but I do not have love. So faith and moving mountains kind of went together in the in the New Testament mind. Now, this kind cannot come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Let's go back to Mark 9, verse 29. This kind, can, this kind, this kind of demon can come out except by nothing but prayer. This shows that there's a degree of strength of demons, as John Gill points out. Another verse to back that up is Matthew 12, verse 45. Then off it, the cast out demon, goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. See, so some demons are more evil than other demons. And as a result, I would say they have more evil. They're more malevolent. They have more evil power. All right, I'm going to take it that they were at the the foot of Mount Hermon as they were dealing with this Demoniac and they had started walking back south toward Galilee. they went into somebody's house and then Jesus told them why the demon couldn't be past cast out don't have enough faith, don't have enough prayer, and so then they keep going south all the way into Galilee all right, folks, I have returned now from my splice of mark nine fourteen through verse thirty two our next audio we're going to finish up Luke chapter nine. Which will take us all the way down into Jesus' later Judean ministry, in verses forty-six through fifty. Jesus taught humility to the disciples. He told them they needed to be like little children. And then in Luke nine fifty-seven through sixty-two, we're going to see Jesus telling the disciples to let the dead bury the dead. I hope you enjoyed this audio, and I hope you listen to the next one too.